When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa, a podcast where I get to speak to people from the world of music and media, food, arts and culture, about the people and places that have made them who they are today. This podcast is about heritage, about culture, about a sense of place and about identity, all of those things. But most of all, it's about people, who they are away from the camera or the kitchen or the stage and the things that have truly shaped and defined them. We'll be finding out about that sense of home by asking them about four key elements. They are a person, a place, a phrase and a plate. One element for me, and it would be a place, and it's quite unusual actually, it's the South Bank, the Undercroft bit where you get all the skateboarders. I am a lapsed teenage skateboarder. I did it like really intensely for like the ages of like 14 to like 16 maybe. And it was such a strange formative period because I found like this tribe and this subculture and introduced me to music. I learned about hip hop and fashion and it was this entry point to so many things that I still now find so kind of defining and part of how I see myself. And so, yeah, every time I go past the South Bank and I hear those skateboarders kind of flicking away and hammering their shins with bits of plywood, I always feel that it is a little part of me and that's my tribe. So that's one for me and that gives me that warm feeling of familiarity and comfort. But what about our guest? Let's find out who it is. I was working on X Factor for a couple of years with Simon Cowell and I worked on the year when Flirt East, my girl, she was killing it. And shortly after she left, actually, we wrote Sax, but when I was on the show, I was crying at the O2 Arena watching her. And she knows this because I'd be like, oh my God, I want to be her so much. I want all these people to know my name and I'm just this no one in the darkness. That's how I used to feel. And it's driven me to always want to be the artist. So I definitely think now is my time. Today's guest is a singer, songwriter and record producer who's been called the fifth member of Little Mix. As well as penning hits for the girl band, she's also written for Mabel, Dua Lipa, Sia, Clean Bandit and even for Kylie's latest album. Songs that she's worked on have amassed more than 6.8 billion streams on Spotify. And for her efforts, she's received a Grammy, a Brit Award and a Mercury Prize nomination. She's since turned her focus to her own solo career and released her debut project, K1, featuring Nile Rogers, Bella, Tamira and Koji Radical. 
That is quite the CV, and I can't wait to find out more. A huge welcome to Camille. Woo! Oh. What an introduction. I know, they're getting they're getting bigger and grander, but you've done a lot. Oh, wow. I feel like we we barely crossed the surface. If wow. if we did all the kind of hits uh, and songs you've been responsible for, it'd have been like anyway. That's all we have time for. <laughs> Goodbye, Camille. <laughs> Do you know what? I honestly still don't know how it's happened. I feel like I've been winging it my whole career. I feel like people are about to find out that I am literally just a girl from Streatham who just likes to sing and mess around in the studio. I don't know how I've got away with it. It's been so much fun. I always start by flipping the show title back to the guest. When somebody says, where's home really for yeah. you, where is it? Like, how do you answer? Oh my God, I had to really think about this because I'm sure as many of you you guys do as well, there's a lot of places that make you feel home. But if I was to think of the one area, and it's more of an area, mm. I'd say, it would have to be, and I put them all in one, it's Streatham, Norbury, Croydon. Nice. <laughs> So we're going to launch straight in and do your place. Let's we're do it. I like it. this. We're doing it. It's a it's combo. It's Streatham, Norbury and... Croydon. Croydon. Yes. Okay. Thornton Heath not going to make Thornton it. I've got Heath, to shout out I Thornton mean, Heath. I mean, it was more of a through kind of place right. for me. Like you get, you go through Thornton Heath yeah, to get yeah. to Croydon. I never yeah. really used to like chill in Thornton Heath. <laughs> there's a couple of places I would go to. Like there's a Jamaican bakery called Cornfields, which everyone knows about. Yeah. Shout out Cornfields. But <laughs> no, it would be more of like, I'm on my way to Croydon. I passed yeah, through Thornton yeah, Heath. Yeah. So I'd say definitely. See, and it's, it's hard to even cut out Brixton because Brixton obviously is right around the corner from Streatham. Mm. But I'd say I lived in Streatham and Norbury for the majority of my life growing up. So when I even enter those postcodes, I immediately just feel the spirit of my home. And I just I feel that. safe. I know every single shop on the roads. Like, it's just home. I know the people there. I know my family there. We've been to the same gym. It was Nuffield, but it used to be a gym called Cannons in Norbury. Like, everyone that lives in Norbury knows about Cannons or Nuffield now. That's like the gym. Do you know I mean, my dad goes there, my mum goes there, my sister goes there. So it's just so comforting. It, I went to school it, in Croydon as Is well. it mainly that familiarity then? So what it, what yeah. is it about those places and that hometown? Because obviously I get to see the different choices that people have for, yeah. for the place that that kind of really solidifies this, this sense of home for them. And sometimes it can be somewhere they've travelled to, sometimes it's an ancestral home, mm. like where their kind of heritage is like drawn from. Yeah. But what is it about... Croydon, Streatham, like all those places. <laughs> like what are your real kind of core memories of growing up around there? You mentioned like the gym and yeah. the businesses. Was yeah. it that kind of community? Was it there definitely a sort of would. certain like, vibe and sort my of energy My parents to it? and my family are definitely those kinds of people who stayed in one area. Like my, all my family are from South London and they would never venture out, which is kind of, I say sometimes now to their detriment because I feel like they could have explored more. But a lot of old school parents are like this. They find one area and they stay there forever so all my aunties all my uncles everyone I know is from South London and all the schools that a lot of you know my family went to were in Croydon or South or Streatham or Norbury so I went to a school called Old Palace in Croydon which is a very very posh school <laughs> I didn't know where you were going to go there and I was like they're going to be listening I mean it was you know what we had to wear brown uniform it was terrible it's so traumatic I used to get eggs on the bus they used to throw eggs at us wow we had brown blazer brown skirt it was like a horrible pleated skirt brown tights brown shoes and a green tie 
Like, are you actually joking me? And I mean, I just remember being in Croydon and having to like quickly get on the bus and quickly get home because I didn't want to like get egged on the bus. Which Who I, was egging you? All the schools with the nice uniforms. Right, right. With the black uniform or like the blue uniform. It looked so cool on the way home. And I used to look like some kind of brown. I don't even know what I was doing. But I mean, I was still a rebel in my school. I had amazing grades, but I was a really like naughty student, I would say. I used to really like answer back to teachers. And Where did that come from? Have you always kind of, have you been, I think it's were been you brought the up that way? Oh, right, no, the youngest. It's the okay. youngest syndrome of like, mm. you know, answering back and thinking you know it all. And I was that annoying student. Shout out all my teachers that had to do with me. I'm so sorry, I love you. <laughs> still processing. Literally still processing. But yeah, Old Palace and Croydon was the school. And I mean, that was just all the history of my childhood was being in Croydon, coming home to Norbury or Streatham. I lived in Norbury, then I moved to Streatham. So yeah, those are just my areas, man. And I just feel so safe when I'm there. Even though now, when I look at them now, I'm like, Croydon just feels so small to me now. Interesting. And it was such a massive place. I used to go mm. to Wicker Centre and go shopping after school and get like bits and bobs with my pocket money and whatever. I think I was some big woman. Oh my God. And now when I go through Croydon, I'm like, oh my gosh. Croydon could do a bit of work as well. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's kind of fondness edged in like the reality that yes. comes from being mature and being yeah. older and seeing the world and having like perspective and visiting Definitely. other places. You mentioned your <laughs> intelligence a couple of times there. It's something that that is very kind of pronounced when you look at your your CV, your Wikipedia entry, and it's a big part of your story, isn't it? Wow. In terms of you did go to Sylvia Young Theatre School, but mm -hmm. then this is kind of like the alternative career it that is. you're doing now. Like you 100%. trained, uh, you worked as a stockbroker. Like talk me through that. Oh was my that, God. Was that kind of external <laughs> pressure? Was it just like uh, something particularly alluring about that kind of high powered world? Did you just have a, how do you end up being a stockbroker? I feel like I put that down to my school again. As much as my school is incredible, mm. it definitely did you know, provide an environment where you felt like you had to be a doctor, a dentist, mm. a, I don't know, an economist, for example. And that was definitely the present that that school set for all of us. So a lot of my friends, like my best friends are dentists, for crying out loud, like they're all really, really high kind of achievers from that one school, which was incredible, but it was a lot of pressure. So for me, I loved maths, I loved physics. I was either going to do architecture or wow. do something in maths. And I ended up, yeah, going for economics, which I loved, but the job just didn't give me that satisfaction and fulfillment what was the atmosphere like because so cold really for me i felt like and i only related to this because it's so similar it was like neo in the matrix when he literally was looking at the screen with the numbers coming down and he had a choice of which pill to take that was literally my life and one day i just decided i'm not doing this anymore and i walked out i said i was um gonna go to lunch and i just didn't come back that is amazing. I just didn't that, go back. Taking that kind of youngest child energy to uh, to real extremes. Just <laughs> see you guys. <laughs> I'm going to be back in a minute. I said so, bye. So talk to me about the fallout from that. Another mm. kind of recurrent theme on this podcast, talking to a lot of people from diaspora communities and with, you know, second generation immigrant heritage. Yeah. Like there's this, there is this pressure. And when you look historically, you understand that like, 
we as communities were trying to arm ourselves with education and mm. make yourself kind of, you know, undeniable and be able to kind of navigate inhospitable environments. What is the parental yeah. reaction oh, Lord. when you tell them that you're passing up this Lord and Lord. as a stock, Do you know stock broker? I was lucky because my dad was very chill. My dad's more like into music and mm. fun stuff. What's your dad's heritage? And your Jamaican. Jamaican. So my dad's Jamaican and my mum is Jamaican-Cuban. Mm. And my mum is very much more like education. Like my mum went on to earn an MBE for oh, her work. Wow, so she's incredible. very much like, this is the this is the way you mm. get education. And God bless her, I'm so glad I did. But obviously when I said I'm not working here anymore, after, you know, getting an amazing degree and all these things, all the education mm. that she gave, she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I want to go into music. And she was like, What? She was like, are you actually being serious with me? I was like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it. And I mean, she gave me a chance because I hadn't taken a gap year. I was kind of allowed a year to figure myself out, which I think is really important, actually, when you're that kind of age. And I would just hang around in this studio that my dad actually put me in touch with the person who owned the studio because he was like, you're not just going to doss around at home. If you want to do music, you need to like figure it out. And I would go there and just see what they were doing. And they let me kind of chill in the room and... I would kind of join in with melodies and some lyrics and I didn't really know what songwriting even was until I started doing it and I loved it. It was very easy for me to rhyme because I loved Shakespeare at school, but also my sister and I used to battle rap all the time. Like I'm talking, she would give me a line, I'd have to come out with a line straight away. If you don't come with the line, it's it, that's it. Like, so I knew how to rhyme on point. And I remember just being able to do that in the studio and they were really impressed with that. And I ended up writing this song that was called What About Us, which got pitched into a record label, Polydor. And they had a girl group called The Saturdays. It got pitched to them. And then the song became What About Us featuring Sean Paul and went to number one. Just the casual number no, one. No, casual. Time, first time of trying. Casual. Let's talk about your phrase because we're talking okay. about music and we're talking about this facility with kind of rhyming and melody yeah. and putting words together. You loved Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Let's settle on your phrase then. Like okay. you're clearly somebody that loves words and works with words and they're your tool and they're your kind of, you know, they're, yeah. they're your superpower. So what have you gone for well, as a phrase? Well, this is the thing. You think I come with some home. real crazy, amazing thing, but it was actually, my mum has this really stupid, funny phrase that haunts me and my sister. And basically, okay, my mum is very much in the belief like, be careful what you say and do to others and always like look at yourself, right? Instead of judging others, look at yourself. So she would have this thing, she'd point her finger and she goes, you see when you point your finger, what's your thumb doing? We'd be like, what do you mean? And if you look, it, your thumb is kind of pointing back at you. Okay, this is my mum, blame my mum for this, this is so cringe. This gun finger haunts us now to the day we die, I feel like, because I always think when I'm talking about this person and judging this person, what is my life like? Have I thought about myself? Have I thought about my actions? Am I to blame for any of it? It's just something that governs my life. And I always hear her voice in my head going, you see, you see, when you do that, what's this doing? And I'm like, oh my God. That is the power. Yeah. That's the power of kind of parental wisdom and like yeah. advice. And I think yeah. to take it back to music, mm. you've clearly been able to access you know a deep well of like internal emotion and kind oh, yeah. of you know like so many of your songs are kind of like multi-layered in that way and kind of speak Thanks. in this quite universal way but 
Do you have a theory about what it is that that has formed this kind of incredible kind of songwriting ability or ability mm. to tap into stuff? And I guess it's had to evolve, right? Because yeah. not everything was as easy as that first kind of, you know, bottled lightning of that track with the Saturdays. So yeah, no. what is your theory about where it comes from and why you're able to to kind of you know channel this so successfully I think a big part of my job is being nosy like I'm a very nosy person I'm always listening to what people are talking about it's none of my business I have no business knowing some of the stuff I know but I've always been that person I'm very empathetic I love being able to hear your story and I tend to really take on your story like it's mine like the minute someone says to me something bad happens to them I get so angry for them, especially if they've been cheated on. Oh my God, that one just triggers me so, so deeply. And I mean, it tends to be a lot of females that come to me and talk talk about stuff. And I think they do it because they know I'm willing to listen. I am a very, very good listener. Mm. I can listen. I can also obviously talk yeah. for, for the town. It's like a sort of bespoke revenge service, it's like people coming revenge. to you like... This is what you need to say about him. Mm-hmm. This is what he did. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is really that considered. I'm not even joking. Like, because there's obviously boundaries. We can't take the piss. But there are situations where we're like, we need to get this and this in the song immediately. And that song will go off and do crazy stuff in the charts. And that person has to now hear, because they know you're singing about them. And I love that. I love it, love it, love it. I will do it every day if I could, just to piss them off what they did to you. So I'm definitely an empath, but... I just love speaking about people's stories and I can access emotions very, very easily, even if they're not mine. And I definitely think they are, for some reason, at the surface for me. The only other person I know who can do that really easily, I remember her speaking about it, was Adele, because she always says, like, even though she hasn't gone through, she's in a really happy place right now, she can access that pain like it was just a click of a finger. And I definitely relate to that. Talk to me a little bit about the fight to be the one who gets to sing the songs as well and to be able to kind of perform and to be up front. And you've spoken about it previously, that battle to be seen, the specific difficulties as a black woman. Yeah. Talk me through that. Did you have to fight to get what we're seeing now, whereby you're this, you know, one woman (laughs) factory, as it were? (laughs) I love that. I just imagine myself with, you know, when there's... When they had the thing on their back with drums and pianos and everything. <laughs> Sorry, that made me yeah, laugh. One woman, one band, woman band. walking along, symbols. Literally, that is symbols me. Symbols taped to your legs. That and is stuff. literally me. No, do you know what? I feel like when I started, it definitely wasn't the environment that it is now for black women or for any woman, actually, I think, in music, and especially in this country, there weren't. I think any black girls mm. kind of performing. And I think that definitely affected my choice to kind of focus on the writing because I wanted to be the artist from the beginning. Yeah. But I just felt like, oh, no one's going to see that. I even remember having meetings with like some label people and they were just kind of more interested in my writing, weren't really trying to hear me as an artist. And it just gave me that vibe like, this isn't going to work. So I, as much as I like, you know, my craft as an artist, I definitely will go where the success is as well. I'm definitely driven by success for sure. And my writing was just popping off. So I thought, let me just go and do this for a bit and see where I go. But I've always had my cunning plan to launch myself when the time was right. And it kind of started materialising a few years ago. I got my first record deal at Virgin. This incredible man called Nick Burgess signed me to Virgin. And that even though it didn't work out because he left the label, which meant that I was kind of like stranded in a label and I ended up leaving. 
it was an incredible experience because it made me feel seen. I'd obviously been working with so many signed artists, seeing them have this incredible, you know, not that even the lifestyle, but just when you work with artists that are on a record label, it's like, wow, like they have teams of people and they're dropped off in luxurious cars to the studio. And it's just a lifestyle that you look at. I'd always seen that. And their A&R person, you know, from the record label will come to the studio and go, right, Sasha, what are we doing today? And it's just beautiful. Was there, was there, was there jealousy? Or of course, I was 100% res- yeah, jealous. Resentment as well, yeah. and particularly if you're... You're the writer, oh you're God. the person behind the Giving song. Giving them that the hit, getting, 100%. Yeah. But at the same time, what I didn't appreciate was how hard it is to be an artist. Uh-huh. Because now I'm like, oh my God, you guys had to go and perform this a million times while I was at home watching EastEnders. Do you know what I mean? I get it now. So I will never, ever, ever take away what an artist does to make that song work. And I've always remembered that. But... I was so jealous. Mm. I was so jealous. Mm. I wanted that so much. I used to cry. Oh, I remember man. one time I worked on X Factor because I was working on X Factor for a couple of years with Simon Cowell and I worked on the year when Fleur East, my girl, she was killing it. And so shortly after she left, actually, we wrote Sax, which is probably one of the biggest Christmas songs you ever can imagine. But when I was on the show, I, w- I was crying at the O2 Arena watching her. and She knows this. I would cry and watch her because I'd be like, oh my God, I want to be her so much. I want all these people to know my name and I'm just this no one in the darkness. That's how I used to feel. Mm. And it's driven me to always want to be the artist. So now is my time. I'm ready. I definitely feel like I've been waiting in the wings for sure. But now I've managed to do a bit of both. I can still do both, which is a benefit to me. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about your person. Okay. Uh, you've already mentioned a few kind of pivotal figures in your life. Yes. You've talked about, you know, your sister, your best friends, your parents and their kind of contrasting influence. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. There's a lot of choices. So mm-hmm. who is the person that kind of encapsulates this idea of home for you? Okay, I'm going to do another combo. It's going to have to be Tommy, my husband, and my son, TJ. Oh, um, And they are just, they come as one for me. They are a combo package. I can't have one without the other. And they definitely represent home. I feel like the minute I step home, and I see my husband at the door because he always waits for me at the door. He's so sweet. And then I see him holding my son. I'm just like, yeah. And this could be anywhere. We could be outside in the rain. We could be at home. We could be on a, we haven't gone on a flight together yet. But I mean, we could be anywhere in the world. I would feel like that is home. You know, I yeah. think that's the most important thing about how a person can make you feel, especially someone that you're with all the time. Do you feel that motherhood has 
shifted your relationship to kind of where you come from, who you are, identity, yeah. heritage? Oh, definitely. Um, and in what ways? Oh my gosh, definitely. I feel such an importance to show my son where he's from. So he's half Nigerian and he's also Jamaican and Cuban. And I, wow. I'm like, right, we need to get to the motherland ASAP. So I'm taking him to Jamaica very, very soon. And we're planning also to go to Nigeria very, very soon and just make sure he knows where he comes from because I feel that's so important for your grounding. I was in Jamaica every year growing up. We would get, all take a family trip. And that, again, is part of who I am and my home, knowing the food where I come from and the vibe, the energy, the music. I think that is so important to understand where you're from. A lot of people don't get a chance to do that or even find out where they're from. Did you always appreciate it? Did you always see it as, because, you know, yeah, I I feel the same Nigerian heritage and stuff mm -hmm. as well. You weren't allowed to forget where no. you came from. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh yes, mm -hmm. ostentatiously Nigerian mm -hmm. with a very Nigerian name. I cannot hide <laughs> much knows. as I try. Right. Um, but I'm always fascinated by the degree to which people went willingly on those kind of like annual trips mm -hmm. back because I think parents invest a lot in that it's kind of it's as important to them as it is to their children yeah. that you understand where you came from that they reconnect that you almost kind of fill yourselves oh, up yeah. again like from this well of kind of identity and who you truly are mm -hmm. did you appreciate it did you kick against it did you want to be kind of like knocking about the wit gift and <laughs> the wit gift <laughs> scream no do you know what I definitely appreciate it because for me it was like a banging summer holiday do you know what I mean every summer I get to like well most summers I say every but most summers we got to go and just live it up and be on the beach and there were like horses that used to run along the, the shoreline that's Jamaica's just the most beautiful place we've ever seen so we stay at my grandma's house and then my parents would always like take us to a hotel as part of the trip like a little trip and I would always be that little girl on stage you know after your dinner you go and have entertainment in a hotel and they go come up on stage and dance to this stupid song and it would literally be me and I've there's a video of me at five like winding up my batty I'm like I was five who taught me how to do that first of all and number two why was I that confident to go and wind my batty on stage in the middle of a stupid hotel so that's for me the memories I have <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh yeah, my and goodness. I love it. Let's hit on your plate. Mm. Um, so you've got multiple things to choose from. You've got Jamaican, you've got Nigerian, mm -hmm. you've got Cuban. Mm -hmm rich cultural heritages you've got british it could yeah. be something else that you've kind of you know it doesn't need to be because i think what's really fascinating are the things that represent home that maybe we find our own way to that That's aren't true. that aren't inherited that kind of you know that that can feel like ours so what are you going to go for in terms of your plate in terms i am going to go straight to jamaica sorry we're going there because come on <laughs> Come on. And I'm going to go. We, all knew. we have to, but this is a plate of food that for me would be brought out in any celebration or a fun thing, a sad thing, a funeral, a wedding, whatever. As a Jamaican child growing up, I would always see this. And it is curry goat with white rice, not rice and peas. I'll explain why. And coleslaw. That is the way to eat curry goat as a Jamaican person. We don't have curry goat with rice and peas for some reason. It's just not the thing. You can still do it, but it's white rice for us. And when I see that plate of food and I see those colours, I see the 
curry juices bleeding into the rice, turning them yellow. And I see the coleslaw juice just blending with the curry and the rice. And I'm oh my God. I could, I Can I just say, are, are you trying to do me out of a <laughs> job with these descriptions? <laughs> Don't see I'm me coming to in here. You. Starting to, to like write pop Jimmy. songs. That is my lane. No, that was, that was beautifully put. And Thank yeah, you're you. right. I, I think there's something about that. And I think it's something that, you know, I will say perhaps through gritted teeth that Caribbean <laughs> culture and Jamaican culture that that combination of the coleslaw Ugh. and the kind of the vibrant tartness of that, like with the creaminess, the, yeah, the creaminess tang with uh, with the curry goat. We're making ourselves incredibly hungry. So, when would you have that? Is it specialness to do with how rarely you would have it, or would it be something yeah. that you'd have quite quite regularly? No, we weren't really a family that was like just munching down curry goat every other day because it is quite heavy. It would be more like you're at a party, your uncle's fiftieth. There's curry goat, or Sadly, there's a funeral, there's curry goat. It's something that definitely brings us together. That's like a, a dish that if there's no curry goat, what kind of what kind of event is this? Do you know what I mean? It's very much a symbolism of, I guess, togetherness, celebration, family. And it's a quite a important meal to have. And you have to have coleslaw. What about the Cuban side? And Ugh. yeah, how have you kind of found fostering those links? Because Another thing I'm really fascinated about, and this plays out in relationships, but I guess it would play out in all different parts of our family mm. trees, that certain cultures are so big, and I think this is true of Jamaican and Nigerian cultures especially, yeah. that they can crowd out oh, yeah. the other parts of someone's heritage. Definitely. So if you kind of have to like fight to like form those links and I really mean, sort of yeah. claim that Cuban side. I feel like we have. I feel like even in my mum's... <laughs> life she's probably had to fight for her Cuban side a bit more as well with with my dad but it's naturally I think gonna be overshadowed because being Jamaican is such a huge huge overpowering thing and I think a lot of the food for example that Cuban people eat Jamaicans eat too like plantain but one thing I think the Cuban side did do is force me into studying Spanish at school so I was definitely making sure that I could speak the language on some level and not like embarrass my mum and those kind of things were there but I definitely think I was more you know identifying with Jamaica but I always always am proud of the fact that I'm also part Cuban. One of the other things that we always ask our guests on the show is about the impact that their culture or heritage has had on like the wider world and British culture obviously it's very pronounced with Jamaican culture and Caribbean culture more generally with music but what are the things that stick out with you is it food is it music you know some people have talked about you know sports and what what are the things that really kind of strike you as amazing (laughs) legacies of your heritage that have now kind of you know disseminated and kind of like taken over the world I feel like there's, for me, it's definitely, I'd say, probably musical. Mm. Um, just being, obviously, I'm a very musical person. And it's funny, I was talking to Tommy about this the other day, because when we change our baby in the morning, we always like like to listen and play him new music that he hasn't heard. Because, okay, Jamaica has very much two sides to its music. You can get, like, the wonderful, you know, Bob Marley side, which is going to teach you some stuff. You're going to learn something. You're going to feel positive. And then you have, like the pasa pasa side which is like someone is literally whining on top of someone else on the top of a bus over there like there's no in the, there's no medium to this it's so funny to me and i mean i appreciate all of it but i definitely definitely feel like 
you know, if I even speak about Bob Marley, I speak about with him with such respect because if you even just listen to his music, you will just see he was really trying to do something. He was really trying to do something. That man had every song preaching some kind of message. He might as well have been, it's Pastor Bob. Do you know what I'm saying? It really, really was. And only now as an adult, I listen back now to like those beautiful songs and I'm hearing the lyrics differently now having a child as well. So there's that. But then equally, listen, I'm trying to put on some Elephant Man and I'm trying to like, <laughs> I'm trying to log on with T.O.K. Do you know what I mean? It's different. So I don't know. Jamaica is just full of incredible things. It's a very funny country. You have to laugh because they're just so funny and vibrant and so wild. We are wild people, man. But I love that for us. That was fantastic. And thank you for sharing your incredible sense of home with us. Thank you so much. It's been such an honour to be here. I'm a massive fan. Guys, I was just telling him how much... I love watching him on TV, as I know you do as well. Let's continue to watch him and be jealous of the food he eats. Can we all just do it together? You're amazing. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be here. So thank you for having me. Oh, Camille, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh my God, I'm absolutely grinning almost to the point of it being quite painful because Camille was just such an absolute joy and so much fun so sharp so hilarious clearly so talented but i just loved the kind of mad brilliant journey that she took us on from like wearing an all brown school uniform at a slightly kind of very ambitious and super serious school being egged being in streatham working as a stockbroker and then kind of crafting this unbelievable career for herself and it all kind of being built upon, you know, this heritage, this person that she was and how she kind of is aligning all that with becoming a mother now and feeding in Jamaican cooking. And it was an absolute joy. And I could have talked to her for hours and hours. Thank you for being with us for another episode of Where's Home Really? We've had some amazing conversations so far in Series 2, so why not go back and listen to any you've missed? And please do join us next week, where we'll hear some even more incredible stories and get to see a different side of a well-known name. Please do follow Where's Home Really on your favourite podcast platform, and also check out our brand new website, whereshomereally.com, where you can find our whole catalogue of conversations, plus some additional interesting tidbits. And, as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, can I ask a favour? Please do leave a comment or review, as they really do help us to spread the word. From Podomo and Listen, this has been Where's Home Really, hosted by me, Jimmy Famarewa. The producers are Tayo Popula and Aidan Judd. The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chudnow and Matt White. And for Listen, is Kelly Redmond. Until next time. <laughs>